is watching. They will watch how you respond. They will watch how you roll into the street. That was the message delivered by the Columbus Public Safety Director to the city's newest police officers at their training academy graduation ceremony earlier this year. There is more pressure on the next generation of police officers than any that has come before them. The world has seen the video of George Floyd dying in the streets. There has been a long history of shootings by police that have left black people dead, including several in Columbus. There is concrete evidence that far more black people are arrested than white people. And the new officers will take to the streets following decades of institutional racism that has created a fear or lack of trust in law enforcement, especially in the black community. Sean Walton, a Columbus-based civil rights attorney and co-founder of the Columbus Police Accountability Project, believes real change will only come when the culture of policing itself changes. We do not have many reasons to trust the police. I think that going forward, there needs to be much more of a focus on cultural competency with the next generation of police officers. It's going to be tough because we are tasking new officers with you know, the, the expectation that they'll be different. And really what needs to change is that the institution in itself must be different because, you know, with, any, with anything that is, is systemic, you know, it, it is steeped into its core. The Columbus Dispatch wanted to ask the new officers themselves how they plan to change that culture and how they plan to engage the public going forward. The Columbus Division of Police declined to make the newest graduating officers available. But they did allow seven Columbus officers who've been patrolling the city streets for one to two years to have a roundtable discussion with the dispatch. They are a diverse group of four men, two women, and one non-binary officer, and a mix of races. We asked them why people should trust them. What is it really like in the streets for new police officers? Who is the next generation of police officers? The officers were selected by Columbus police officials and gave their opinions about what it's like to do their jobs and offered candid thoughts on topics such as racism. We started the roundtable talk with what inspired each of them to become police officers. Here are the seven officers and their responses. We start with Brandon Crump, a 35-year-old biracial male who is black and white. The reason I became an officer, or wanted to become an officer, is uh, ironically before I was, became an officer, I was a fireman. And the people always laugh at me and say, why would you go from fire to police? And the one big difference between being a fireman and being a cop is just the reactive nature of the fire service versus the proactive nature of the police force. As a fireman, I really wasn't going out helping people unless they called. As an officer, I'm able to be proactive and go out and, and <laughs> see if, if somebody needs help, to check on someone, to follow up on somebody, and so on and so forth. And the biggest draw to me was the ability to be able to interact with the people, to have conversations with the people, and to help them solve their problems on a, on a regular basis. That was the big draw for me to become an officer. Kelsey Rodriguez, age 32, a white female officer. And the reason why I became an officer, I guess it, was, it is kind of cheesy, but it is to help people. Every time I was in a position, I, I did nonprofits. Every time I've had a job, it's been in a nonprofit. So I always try to find a purpose in everything I'm doing, a calling in everything that I do. And so especially being a person of faith, like it's just, it's really important to me. So the reason why I became an officer is because I could serve, I could be out in the community, not behind a desk serving people. And to be honest, it paid a little better than any nonprofits do, unfortunately. Um, I could go and serve the community. I could be out in the community 
and helping those that need it and sometimes the ones that don't want it but still benefit from it later. And so it was really just to make an impact uh, regardless of what it was. Maybe it's for the victim more than the, the perpetrator, the suspect, but most of the time it was just to serve overall serve the community in whatever capacity that I could and it just have a purpose in, in, in my life, really, and it benefited my family greatly. Caprina Stewart, age 43, a black, non-binary officer. I think my reasons have changed and I've had to kind of determine what it is that really brought me here. I was an insurance agent before this and what I loved about being an insurance agent was I could take something very hard to understand and interpret it and help my clients to understand it and help them and how to proceed so they can help themselves. And for me, I think when everything happened with George Floyd and all of the, the dynamics, I, I, I was able to see kind of this misunderstanding, this language barrier that seemed to be between the community and policing. And I, I wanted to be that difference. I thought if I can understand it and I can, I can interpret it and I can help somebody, um, then that's what I want to do. Um, I had tried doing that in, in different ways, like, um, you know, political parties and things like that, but it still wasn't enough. I still wasn't able to, I think like some of my other classmates mentioned, really go in the community and really be proactive, like get out of my cruiser, talk to people, um, you know, touch people, look people in the eyes, having conversations on a day-to-day basis. Like we patrol the same areas and that's amazing that I know people's names that I wouldn't ordinarily know. And so that's, that's become my reason every day that I do it. Keisha Orsini, age 40, a white female officer. So I'm a little bit older, so when I was 21, 22, I was in the process through Columbus. So my background's in mental health. And so I always, in the back of my mind, was like, I'm going to do, like, I'm going to go back to doing it at some point. But then I just, I like mental health a lot. And then I really decided, because a lot of, I mean, with mental health comes a lot of police interaction, obviously. So I guess I kind of wanted to be that, like, gap, I guess, between that, because I would say... A high percentage of people who are involved with the police have some sort of, whether it's mental health or substance abuse or, you know, that can kind of be looked at, I guess, as a type of mental health. And so that's kind of the main reason. I think I can I can understand it. I can help kind of be that inner person, I guess, to bridge that gap a little bit. Adam Bauer, age 31, a white male officer. Law enforcement and my family, I guess, my dad, my brother, hearing their stories sounds fun. Honestly, pay's good, but all in all, it's, it's fun day to day. Something different, something new. It's never the same thing. Kenneth Kradoff, a 28-year-old biracial male who is black and native Hawaiian. So I'm a little older, so about 2011, I was out with some friends and had some beers and got arrested for OBI. It was one of those uh, kind of reality checks for me uh, at the time. I didn't know if policing was in my future, but that interaction with that state trooper kind of like, like I said, was like a more of a reality check for me. Um, you know, I needed that for that to happen, for me to be where I'm at now. So I, the reason why I want to be a police officer, one of the reasons why is because I want to be that, you know, that, that person that kind of, you know, finds somebody at their lowest moment and tries to uh, redirect their path, you know, to make sure they're keep their head clean and uh because i've had i went to high school here plum city schools uh, walnut ridge i had some some old friends that are no longer with us you know they were murdered or 
they're in gangs or just you know locked up or stuff and something like that. So I also want to you know try to find youth and you know teenagers that are struggling with some of those issues and try to just kind of redirect their path. David Feltner, a 28-year-old biracial male who is Filipino and white. Just helping people. Growing up, my older brother, he's a special needs. And so I just kind of grew to enjoy standing up for people who can't stand up for themselves or kind of just being there for people who can't quite stand up for themselves. So policing seemed like a pretty good fit because you're getting paid to do that if you're doing the job right, obviously. And then also it, it's fun. Like every day, like I'll, I'll talk to the crowd off or, or some of our other buddies. I'm like, dude, I can't believe we're getting paid to do this. We're driving around. We get to just talk to people. Yeah, it's, it's sweet. Like whenever someone, uh, someone like thanks me for what I'm doing, I'm like, hey, thank you because this is a blast. But yeah, just the helping people and just trying to be a voice for people who can't defend themselves or speak up for themselves is, is pretty sweet. Even in the short period of time since these officers graduated from the training academy, a lot has changed for law enforcement all over the country. We discussed their expectations compared to the reality of their jobs. So I think my, the biggest, I think, misconception, I think just generally, I thought going out there, people were going to like be police bashing and like get out of here and da da da. And now granted there are times where they're like, we don't want you here, da da da, you know, but I'd say 90% of the time people are thanking us for being there or appreciative that we're there and what we're doing, which was nice. And again, there's different experiences for different areas and whatnot. But for the most part, I think the media makes it that everyone hates the police, and really that's not true, in my opinion. Going off of what Orsini said, I thought when I graduated that the there was a misconception for minority police officers out there. You know, you know, I've I mean, I, I didn't have to work the riots, but I've heard stories from other uh, minority officers here in Columbus that had some bad experiences, like dealing with that. And you know, I thought, okay, there'll be cop haters out there, but there'll also be minority cop haters out there, but so far I haven't seen that. In fact, I've, I've had multiple interactions with people who, who love seeing a, you know, a male black get out of the police cruiser and try to handle their problems. They, they love the fact that you know, Columbus is becoming a more diverse department. Kelsey, I guess my expectation was that, I mean, from a almost just maybe my own expectation of myself was that I was gonna get out there and have to know everything that I was doing. And so the FTO program and the, and all the other officers that are surrounding you that have been doing this job for a long time, or maybe haven't been doing it for five years, there it's a community of, peop, of, of officers that are there and willing to help and also have the same goal in mind that we do. Um, we might have a little bit of different fresh eyes coming from the academy just because we're new, but at the same time you run into those, uh, that other community of officers and community of people that really want to help. And I was so afraid to at first, which I'm, most people will be like, oh, like they'll figure out you're a rookie. Like, you're right, I am. But you know what? I'm also here to help you. So let's do this together. Let's figure this out. We talked about how they are generally treated by the public. Do they feel hated? Does perception meet reality? Officer Stewart. It's definitely scary and dangerous. There's that, always that element of policing, whether it's a traffic stop, a building search, domestic violence, that you just don't know and it always changes. And that part of me has to be aware of that 
but am I not wanted? No, I don't, I don't, I don't think I've ever um, felt that. And I think that's the ability to be a person and an officer at the same time, how you handle it, how you bring yourself into any given situation. And I think it's been a phenomenal experience for me to be able to, um, like Officer Orsini mentioned about mental health and to be able to still in this position, bring that level of compassion, still officer safety, and still being able to help. Like, I actually have resources to help. It's in those capacity, I think it's probably exceeded my expectations. But as far as the community, um, the communities I've, I've been a part of, I've been welcomed. Um, even if it has been something that's been a negative altercation because you typically will run into that person again, it's amazing how they'd be like, oh man, I'm sorry. You know? So it's, it's, been, it's been rewarding, but interesting because it's never the same. Adam, why, why do you do this in today's world? Why not? Like everybody else says, you know, you help people, it's fun. I mean, it's different every day. It might be dangerous for a point in time, but I mean, you'll get through it. And as far as the community perception, they say, you know, why do you have your guns out at a certain point in time? Would you ask a firefighter to go to a house fire without a truck or a hose or water or anything? No. So I guess people don't understand. Or um, kind of going off what he said, like being able to explain, like after the situation's kind of de-escalated, like why we came in with our guns out or why we put someone in cuffs or why we patted someone down or whatever. Like, I think they appreciate that instead of just being like, well, because that's, we can, you know what I mean? Sure. But if you explain it, then they're like, oh, that, yeah, that makes sense. So like Stuart said, you know, they, uh, they apologize. It's, it's crazy how, how many times you arrest them and they're sitting in the back of the cruiser and they're just constantly, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do this. And so on and so forth. And then they're, they're cool going through the process on the way to jail. Officer Crump, to all my colleagues' points, I mean, a component of this job to be effective is the ability to not take things personally and try to empathize with why someone feels the way they feel. Um, so, for instance, if I'm going on a call where uh, they don't understand why I have my gun out, or they're saying, hey, you know, we don't want any more of our community members to be shot, anything, something like that, they're not saying it to me, they're saying it to the badge. We asked the officers if the turmoil in society surrounding being police officer is on their minds when they are in duty. Kelsey. So I had a situation, I could even just give a specific example. Please. I gave, I had a situation where we had got a call that the mom, there was a, a mother that just stabbed herself in the stomach and she was trying to jump out a window and her son was calling. He was maybe 14, maybe 15 at the time. We get there and, you know, because she's had a knife and we're not sure if she's, you know, coming after her kids or going to come after us or what, how she was feeling, we, we have to have our guns out. So we open the door and we realize that, we, that the knife is close to her. We have her, you know, put, the, put it away from her. We get it away from her. And after we take her, you know, to the hospital to get help and make sure she's good, we sit there and we're, I take the opportunity to talk to the young man. Now, this young man was 14, but he was like probably six foot three, <laughs> way bigger than me. So I sit there and, and it happens to be, a, you know, an African-American family. And I'm like, I'm so sorry that we had, had to come in here like that. That had to be so scary for you. But you also have to understand that we're here to protect you. And he had a little sister that was asleep. So bringing it into the perspective of 
We're protecting you as well because we don't know who's in this house. The only call that we got was that your mom had a knife and she was stabbing herself in the stomach. That we wanted to make sure you were safe and your little sister was safe and that everybody else in the community was safe because unfortunately I don't know your mom whenever someone whenever someone calls. And so he just like uh, like literally broke down crying and he was like nobody's thank you for like explaining that to me because no one's ever like, I just I literally just saw you coming in my mom is is in trouble and I was like exactly what I thought you would think. Your mom's in trouble. Why would we come in here with a gun when she's already wanting to kill herself? Officer Felner. It comes into my mind I guess like keeping in mind like perceptions of of what we're doing but in the moment itself it's training because it, it comes down to like safety like our safety and then the safety of the people that we're we're responding to but outside of that like Orsini and Kelsey said if you can have the the opportunity to kind of like slow things down after everything is is safe and you can explain to them why we do what we do like like why we have our guns out if there's you know a deadly weapon or why we handcuffed someone because they might have had a possible warrant and it wasn't maybe even verified yet, but why we cuffed them and then why then we searched them or like what kind of process that that we're going through whenever we're doing doing a part of our job. So I try to be as honest as I can with everybody. We're not operating in the shadows. Columbus Mayor Andrew Ginther has said publicly that the Columbus Division of Police has a racism problem. We asked the officers if they agree with that. This is Crump. Um, to the first part of your question, um, within the division, do I think that there's a race issue? Yep. I'm going to go with 100% absolutely not. Um, and I say that from uh, a multiracial background. Um, and I, I, to a lot of people, I look white. Um, and in previous employment situations, I've been in situations where people have interpreted me as being a white male and have been at the table saying whatever they thought that was appropriate to say at the time. Um, since I've been on the division, um, I have not experienced that, um, hearing that from any member of the police force. Um, furthermore, uh, in the areas that I've been out, that I've worked, um, I've not experienced any officer um, discriminate towards anybody else based upon their race. After Officer Crump's response to the race question, Sergeant James Fuqua, the public information officer for the Columbus Police, jumped into the discussion. Fuqua, who was black, politely disagreed with Officer Crump's response. He believes there is a race problem. So let me jump in, even though I'm not technically part of the record of this, because I think it's important to say, sure. um, but there absolutely is a race problem. And there's a race problem not only in policing, obviously being 42, like some people in here are a little older with different life perspective. There's absolutely a race problem within the division of police. Um, but I say that because there's a race problem in fire, there's a race problem in public finance, there's parts of rec, you name it, and teachers, wherever. My point is, getting back to the specifics of the police department, um, just going back to life examples, uh, just hitting my 17th year last week, I grew up on the south side of Columbus, and, um, you know, I, I worked very hard to stay out of the gangs, even though all of my family, most of my family were in gangs, uh, had records, and did a lot of negative things. I mean, I wasn't the same either, but my point is, uh, I grew up in a very rough neighborhood, and it was like 98% black, and uh, I remember working brand new, 
working with a guy, didn't know anything about me because I just came to this new unit. And it was a unit actually that I grew up in. And um, he was like, he was like pointing out all these things, not knowing that I literally grew up on the same block. And he was like, look, that's a drug dealer. That's a drug dealer. You know, they're a gangbanger. And just, he was pointing out all these things. And I was like, I said, well, why? And he said, well, because they're standing in front of that corner store and everybody that goes in there is dirty. He said, okay. So then he said, oh, look at that car. They've got rims. They've got a loud system. They're, they're definitely up to no good. Why? Because they have rims on the car? I don't understand. They go, because oh, they're dirty. And everything he kept saying had all these racist undertones without him point blank saying because they're black. Obviously, riding with me, he didn't want to say a lot of these things. So finally, the conversation kept going, and he said, look at all these people. Look at these people on the porch. And the one thing that bothered me the most, he pointed out this one specific person on the porch. He's like, what are they doing at high noon sitting on the porch on a Wednesday? They don't have a job, probably getting government assistance. And so I finally stopped him right there and I said, you do understand, I know that person and that person works nights and he works two jobs to support not only his kids, but kids that he had to take because his sister is on crack and he's supporting two households and he works all night with two jobs and that car that you see right out front with the rims and the system, that's his and he's never been in a gang in his life. Not only that, but I grew up like a block away from here. So before you start judging everybody, you think you know it all you should probably check yourself. So um, it's absolutely a race problem. We've been in five different precincts, right? Supposedly. You guys have been in what, seven? All the ones I've been in, and all the officers I've seen, I've not seen the division racism that the community talks about. And maybe more of uh, a judgment based on Experiences that they've had. Um, I mean, I went. I went to a small school. I think we may have graduated with a hundred people. Um, there was one. You're black from guy, a small town. Yeah. Okay. One black guy in our entire in my entire twelve years of going to the school system. Mm -hmm. There was one other black guy I played baseball with. That's it. Until I went to college. You know, worked on farms, all this stuff then go out in the community. I don't view people as black or white or Somali, Nepali, whatever. You go to a run, you're already thinking in your head what, what it's about, how you may or may not be able to fix it this way, this way, or this way. You're not focused on race, at least in my mind and the people I've worked with. And for everybody, I'm not, I'll say everybody, but I don't mean like in this room. But a lot of people think that officers go to runs, and as soon as they get out of the cruiser, they look at people like, oh, they're black or they're mm -hmm. Somali. I got to deal with this junk again. Like, these situations, like, this is dumb. Well, it's, it's not. It's, it's people, and you got to view people as people and not color. Like, that's how I was raised. I mean, my grandpa, he was, he was racist as all get out, but... I'm not. So it's all, uh, it's, it's all personal, I guess personal choice, I guess. You want to fall into that rut or do you want to take the high road and keep going? Please. Just kind of take a spin off of, uh, off of the story for what Thank Adam you. said. Do I get out of my cruiser and consider race? Absolutely. How I'm going to handle 80-year-old Greg 
that has left the hospital, how I talk to him, how I interject, is going to be different than I talk to Tom in Clintonville. Um, it has to be an element. How I deal with um, Tiffany on South James versus Tiffany on um, uh, North High Street is going to be different. You have to consider that. That's a part of developing as a human, as understanding the differences and how you can build a solution. If I handle everybody the same, it's going to be a problem. Walton, the civil rights attorney, said new officers must understand there has been a race problem within the police force before they can help change the culture moving forward. We need new officers who are going to say that there is a problem here and I see what the problem is. I'm going to come with new solutions and to bring a level of empathy. Because again, I think that is what is lacking, empathy and love. And so new officers tend to be passionate and, and excited about the work they can do and, and, and changing that. And then over time, they become jaded. And so they have to continue to operate with empathy and love and, and a, a passion to change things. And despite how that uh, institution may push back against them, we need them to continue to uh, keep that fire on behalf of the community. We asked the officers what is the hardest part of their jobs. It was no surprise that most said it is dealing with a mental health crisis on a daily basis. Yeah, or see me. Um, I think, obviously, mental health is a huge issue, especially when a lot of the people that we deal with um, have some sort of addiction. And most of the time, addiction goes back to some sort of mental health. So they're doing drugs because of a deeper issue. Um, and so being able to recognize that it's not just this person being an asshole, like they have stuff going on. And again, it's just the way that you treat them. And then being able, like Kelsey said, to be able to explain after the fact, like, this is why we did this. We came in with our guns because we were worried about everyone else around. We were worried about the person involved. We were worried about everybody. When I worked in mental health, um, worked for a provider company, and we would have to call the police a lot because the staff there, you know, that are getting paid 10 bucks an hour, they can't, they're not going to put themselves in a situation to get hurt, you know, so they're calling the police and then the police are getting there like, okay, we'll slam them on the ground. That's it. Well, no, we didn't, we don't want you to slam them on the ground. We just want you to get, you know, take them to get help because they're not safe going in our car, you know, mm -hmm. so things like that, just being able to understand better. I think the hardest part for me is seeing the cycles of people. And I think that all goes down to mental health and addiction and every other aspect of family dynamics, of unhealthy family structures, of poverty, of, of everything. And I think the hardest part for me as an officer is serving a community that I can't break the cycle. I can only do my job. And I feel like it takes a literal village of, of resources and community and people to and 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 faith communities and every aspect of, of of a community to help people and i think it it rests really heavy on a lot of officers shoulders of how to break the cycle of this and the only thing that we have power to do is enforce the law and take people to the, get the services that we need that we're able to take them to uh, off. thank you on that, um, like you said, you know, the public expects us to be counselors and to solve all their problems, but the reality is we can't solve everyone's problems. 
Like, you know, if someone calls in and says that someone stole their car, hey ma'am, I can take a report, but I can't guarantee that we'll get you your car back. Someone wants to make a report for a missing child, you know, I can air the description and, you know, take a report, but I can't guarantee that we'll find your child. So it's just, you know, everyone expects us to solve their problems, but we have, I mean, yeah, granted, we have tons of resources that we can provide, you know, there, there are some solutions that we can offer the community, but it's just, as much as I'd love to solve everyone's problems and issues and concerns, we, we just can't. It's, it's just unrealistic, unfortunately. Like most of the country, the officers have all seen the video of George Floyd dying in the street and are aware of other incidents of officer misconduct. We ask them what they think when they see other officers harming the public or betraying the oath they took. Crump, the first thing, I mean, when you see a, a clear-cut example of horrible police misconduct, um, the first thing that goes through my mind is um, just despair, because I know that um, we're going to, I mean, all of us nationwide are going to be suffering the consequences of that misconduct for a while to come. Um, and the first thing that goes through my mind personally is just how much of a setback that is from the progress that we've made. I mean, it takes, I mean, I think there's an adage that says, you know, um, you, you, you build trust in inches, but you lose it in miles. Um, and every time there is a, 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 a bad example, it just, that, that adage just springs in my mind. Yeah, you're just like, man, you know, especially when you've been somewhere for a while and you, you literally can picture the faces of the citizens that you've spoken to. And you're like, man, I'm probably going to see that person next week. But what are they? What's the reaction going to be to me now? Um, and you do, you try. I think even as a black officer, you, you try to humanize yourself even more to other black people. I think that's been the most profound thing. Is I think it's been harder to police my own sometimes, mm -hmm. um, just because of that distrust. They don't see me; they see the badge. I asked the officers to speak directly to the people who don't trust them. Why should people trust them? Can they understand why some people would want to run away rather than have a conversation? Uh, Officer Stewart, why were we involved? Something else is happening. Um, we don't know the mindset of the officer. What was the, the pretext? I, I cannot tell you why. And I've been involved in people that have run. And you have your guns drawn because you know, I mean, literally been shot at. Um, some of that stuff isn't mentioned. And that, so I can't say, you know, oh, well, why, why wouldn't I run? Why were you involved in something that the police had to be involved in in the first place? I don't know. I can't tell you what that situation is going to be. I have to do my part. That's it. Kelsey, if, if anybody ever says, like, well, why should I trust you or why, why wouldn't I run? Well, I mean... <laughs> It sounds really bad, but I, t I talk to them you talk to my kids. Like, the, the more upfront you are and the more you stand for your justice and for what you're doing right, then somebody can't say you're doing something wrong. And if they do, they're wrong because they said you, you were doing something wrong. So for you to take off running, now you got something built on top of what you've already, what's already been the initial call. So if you're doing nothing wrong, then you don't need to feel guilty for it. And if, if you are standing for the truth, and the truth will always be revealed. What's what's in the dark will always come to the light. Adam, what would you say to uh, somebody that doesn't like you and they, you've never, never even met you? Just ask them why. You ask them why, it opens up a whole other can of worms of, of all the reasoning. And you can just go into that. 
I guess that's the best answer I have. And you're willing to have those conversations? I have no problem having yeah. conversations. I mean, if, if people want to have confrontational conversations, other than that, it is what it is. I mean, all you're doing is asking why. They're already telling you they hate you. So, if, if that's the case. Crowd off. Like Adam said, ask them why. Like, I can, I can guarantee you every officer out there that works with that is willing to take some time and have a conversation and try to try to answer your, whatever questions or concerns you might have. Um, also, um, you know, I would also say to those who do not like the police, like, before you're quick to judge or, you know, make your, uh, you know, feel, feel a certain way toward police, I would say to them, take a step back, kind of try to slow things down and just kind of not look at it with a lot of emotion, but more, more logic. Try to you know limit your emotions towards certain things and you know what the media is trying to tell you or portray, and just try to do your research and just think more logically towards uh, towards those judgments or uh, feelings you might have towards police. <laughs> David, how about somebody that might be scared of you? Um, like Bauer said, just try to understand why they're thinking or feeling a certain way. Like me, a year ago or two years ago, I'd be like. <clears throat> Why are you scared? That's dumb, you know, or something, you know, something along those lines. But now I try to really uh, like kind of think outside the box and re remove myself from my own way of thinking and try to look at things from different perspectives. Because some people might truly be scared of the police because they've had like one interaction with the police and they've never <coughs> met any other cops. And they happen to meet like a jackass of a cop who, who was really mean to them and mistreated them. So now that's their perception of all cops. Whether or not it's right isn't up to me, but it's their reality. So it's just important to just try to empathize and, and see things from their perspective. And then once you find that common ground, like, oh, okay, so, so you met a cop who, who was mean. Luckily, I'm not mean. And maybe we could like build a relationship moving forward and then it'll at least mend a little bit of their perception Police, that's a hope. Walton, the civil rights attorney, said there is some hope that the next generation of officers and their fresh perspectives will start to chip away at the long standing problem of racism and policing. You know, there's really no reason at this point to trust, but um, there's a hope. Thank you for listening. If you would like to listen to more audio journalism like this, please consider subscribing to the Columbus Dispatch by visiting dispatch.com slash subscribe now.